is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. I'm on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson alongside Alex Steele in New York. Alex, turning out to be quite the day again. Um, Actually, most of the morning fairly quiet, um, but then we get a big rollover in equities and a huge surge in in bond markets. Uh, We've heard from Hugh Pill today, the chief economist of the Bank of England, which is behind some of this. We've also had some very strong data out of the US economy as well, which is only going to further encourage the Fed to hike rates even further. Uh, Just in terms of the headlines that we've had uh, over the last few minutes, the UK 30-year bond yield has just gone above 5%. That's the first time that has happened since 2002. We've just been speaking to Ray Bulger, um, who is a mortgage specialist. He's talking about a 10 to 15% decline in the UK housing market next year. I mean, wow. These are really... St- it just keeps getting worse, isn't it? Um, and here in the US, equities are starting to roll over as well. I mean, I don't even want to talk about the US, to be perfectly honest, right now, because it's like nowhere near what we're seeing over your neck of the woods. I mean, looking at the 10-year, uh, also up 26 basis points now. Um, the U.S. we know seems to be a safe haven. We just can't seem uh, seem to catch a bid. And then not to forget that there's also Nord Stream One. It has out two yep. leaks. Nord Stream Two has a leak. Um, it feels like the sabotage is a, a, the conclusion. A, a, a leak lot of makes it sound to. like it's a kind of little small thing. Oh my God! Those those that video you found is staggering. The bubbling up is and this amazing. Is methane. These are clouds of methane that are being released into the Baltic at the moment. This huge pipeline has got a hold in it. It's basically releasing gobs of methane into the into the atmosphere which is a highly bad for the atmosphere and b highly flammable yeah not good and uh we just also got a headline that antony blinken he is the secretary of state for the united states um he says initial reports indicate that leaks may have been sabotaged and they are obviously looking into it it's under uh investigation we heard news from reports that russia may be trying to get opec plus to cut one million barrels of oil a day it's sort of the next step in the weaponization uh, of energy from russia and it looks like europe will definitely have to go without russian gas through the winter which okay but then you got the summer and then the next winter and then the summer yeah. and that's where the problem's going to be it's yeah it's turning out to be quite a complicated I'm bummed. day i'm a little for, bummed I'm, for, I'm well it's a complicated day and not a lot of good news into mm-hmm. the mix though i have to say the u.s data shows that the u.s economy is hanging in there which i think for the global economy yeah. is a is a good thing let's focus a little bit more on the uk and what is happening here um so we've just seen the uk 30-year bonds the guilt surging above five percent for the first time since 2002 um hugh pill was the man that we all wanted to hear from today he is the chief economist of the Bank of England. We, we got the commentary yesterday from the bank in the form of the statement from the uh, from the governor. Hugh Pill was going to kind of nuance that, put a bit of uh, put a bit of flesh on the bones. He certainly did that. Let's listen to what Hugh Pill had to say. There is a rebalancing of the macro policy environment and an anticipation of loose, looser fiscal policy. I think it's hard not to draw the conclusion that all this will require a significant monetary policy response. A significant monetary response. Uh, We have seen a significant pricing, repricing once again of the UK gilt curve today. Yields are pushing sharply higher once again. Um, Let's talk to our chief European economist. He is, of course, Jamie Rush here at Bloomberg. Jamie, what did you make of what Mr Pill had to say? Well, it's it's rather hard to tell, isn't it? So we've had Various words used to describe interest rate moves, forceful, um, you know, what Pills just said, 
um, is it 100? Is it 200? Is it 150? The market doesn't know. So we've seen, I've seen red headlines flashing across the Bloomberg terminal, markets pricing in 200 basis point hike in November. I've seen them at 100, I've seen them at 150. But one thing's for sure though, is that the volatility is here mm-hmm. uh, to stay. I mean, that, that's, that's the, the lesson. And, and also just to put like a, a nice little button on this one, like there were headlines like traders are looking at, you know, 390 basis points worth of hikes uh, through May. That's giving the peak rate at 6.25 percent uh, in May. Um, these are like really staggering numbers. And I'm wondering how long the market's going to give the BOE to get something done. If the BOE just keeps saying this stuff until November 3rd, I cannot imagine what the bond market is going to be looking like at that point. No, I mean, I think... This is creating huge pressure in the economy right now, isn't it? So interest rate expectations at 6.25% is going to blow a hole in the mortgage market. So the problems are going to start building way before we actually get to the November meeting. And I think actually there's just a lot of pressure now on the government to, to have a think about its policies. It's the, the Treasury, the, the Bank of England has left the, the ball in the Treasury's court by saying they're not going to do anything till November. So, you know, the, tre- the Treasury's got a whole month now to, to think on its sins. Hmm. Um, you, you talk about the mortgage market. We just we just talked to a, a mortgage specialist. Um, we were talking about the swaps and kind of how quickly they'd be moving and, and mortgage repricing is is already a reality for a lot of people that are going to be rolling off uh, their, their fixed mortgages very quickly. He was talking about 10 15% downdraft in the uh, in the housing market next year. Now, that's after a very big surge over the last couple of years. But nevertheless, we haven't seen a significant downdraft in the UK housing market for a very long time. What effect could that have? Well, we've not seen interest rates at 6% for a very long time no. either. You're making um, a point. I think it's, <laughs> I, th- I, I think 50, those numbers sound perfectly plausible to me, given that you obviously have people rolling over their mortgages, but who's going to buy a house now? Who's going to go to their, their, their mortgage provider and go, okay, yeah, that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's going to have a huge impact on demand for housing in the near term. And, and, and if you do want to and need to go buy a house, that asking price is going to be way, way lower because of those high mortgage rates. So it, when you say that we're going to see a hole blown in the mortgage market, like what, what is the repercussion of that? Like What does that do to recessionary fears? What does that do to the consumer? Because at least here in the US, mm. a lot of the wealth is created in the mortgage market and you feel better when your house price goes up and you spend more and do more stuff when that happens. Yeah. So I think what we're actually going to see probably is, unless we have a big recession that starts pushing unemployment up, you're going to see demand for housing coming down a lot people aren't going to be able to afford the mortgages. You're also going to see people taking their houses off the market. So it'll be reduced supply. So what you'll, what you'll actually see is that prices won't immediately tank because no one's being forced to sell their house. But as we, as it, I think it's going to rumble on over the next six months and the, 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 you'll see that house prices do just gradually drift downwards. And that's kind of what happens when you don't have a big, deep recession that drives unemployment up. No, but you do get a long period of illiquidity and then prices ultimately, mm. as you say kind of exactly. reset to, to more of a realistic level. Is the effect of all of this greater than the positive boost that the Chancellor hoped would be achieved from, from what he announced on Friday? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the By, by the what order of magnitude? Is, well, I mean, let's think about the, the tax cuts. I mean, they're disproportionately focused on the better off in society. You tend to save the money rather than spend it. So the economic boost you get from it is pretty small. 
the disruption caused by high interest rates, the plunge in sterling, is going to be an order bigger. So I, th I think the, I mean, quite clearly, um, I mean, separate from the energy package, which is necessary, the implication of the tax cuts, which is the real problem here, um, is going to be massively outweighed by mm -hmm. the, the response from the Bank of England and, and sentiment more broadly. Um, Deutsche Bank's uh, chief economist said that the UK is going to have like a deep and long recession. Quote, that's the price we have to pay for financial stability and getting on the right track. What are your models showing? Um, yeah, I think a recession is now the, is, is the base case. Um, is it an inevitable, was it inevitably required to have a recession to bring financial stability back? I mean, we didn't have to have a budget that did this. So I think, you know, that <laughs> we are in a place now where you, once the credibility is gone, you can't get it back quickly. And that is the problem here. It's like, it was avoidable, but now it's not. So I think that's where we are now. Man. It's going well. Sorry. <laughs> really sucks. <laughs> Jamie, always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Bloomberg's chief European economist, Jamie Rush. Up next, we'll talk about the politics of all of this. Um, the, the Chancellor meeting today, leading figures from the City of London. We now understand that he's going to have a conference call uh, with a number of leading figures from Wall Street tomorrow as well as he tries to calm the market. Are we going to have to see an about face here? What political impact is all of this having? We just had the Labour Party conference as well. We're heading towards the Conservative Party conference. Uh, Joe Mays will be joining us next to discuss. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back. Um, you're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson in London. Alex Steele over in New York. Let's talk about the political impacts of what is happening in the, uh, the British economy right now. Uh, we've talked about the economic impact of the, the Chancellor's fiscal package. Let's talk about the politics. Uh, tomorrow, we now understand Kwasi Kwarteng will host representatives from a number of Wall Street firms, basically trying to reach out to the market, to the global markets, and we rely on the kind of strangers here in the UK, um, to discuss his plans that have caused such turmoil in markets and, and now, by extension, uh, into people's lives. We've already talked about what's happening with the mortgage market here. Joe Mays joins us to discuss the politics of all of this. Joe, at the moment, this is a government that is putting on a brave face. This is a government that is trying to reach out to the City of London and to Wall Street to try and explain, to try and dampen some of the volatility we're seeing in financial markets and the British economy. How much time has the Chancellor got here to get this situation under control? I think we're in a position of perhaps weeks, you'd say months, perhaps. I think Kwasi Kwarteng is going to want to continue on this path. And all the messaging that he's put out suggests that he wants to do that. And if you look at his kind of academic historian background, he's a great uh, kind of, uh, he's focused a lot on the premiership of Margaret Thatcher. And he is very much inspired by her experience, whereby when she came into power, she had 360 economists say her plans were nonsense, but she stuck to them and she was vindicated. I think Kwasi Kwarteng sees himself in that mold, and that's why he's going to be very unwilling at this point to do a U-turn. I think he could try and ride this out you know, for as long as he can. Um, what kind of market do you think would change that calculus on a political front? I mean, here in the US, I feel like politicians try, except for Donald Trump, like really ignore market reactions. At some point, though, it's going to get too hard to do that. Yes, and Kwasi Kwarteng had a call with Tory MPs this afternoon where he told them that the metrics he is watching are guilt and the cover rate on guilt. It's like, yeah, if we saw a you know, significant 
uh, kind of blow up in the gilts market, which really made it difficult for the government to borrow at <laughs> reasonable rates, then quasi clubbing might have to be forced to, to change course. But until we get to that point, I think he's going to really want to stick this out. What about, what about the reasonable rate for consumers? Mortgage rates, Joe, are, we all know, are going through the roof. I, at the beginning of this year, you could get a you could get a one to two percent two year fix. You can't get a below five percent fix now. I suspect by the end of the week that number might be six. That is a huge impact on people's pocketbooks. Yes, it is, and that's why this government's approach is such a gamble. I mean, they're effectively hoping that through their economic reforms they can spur growth such that it will outweigh all this kind of immediate short-term economic damage that could come from those rising interest rates. And quasi Clapping and Liz Trust are surrounded by advisors who want to see a correction in interest rates. They think interest rates have been too long, too low for too long, and they want to see them going upwards. Perhaps not in this uh, slightly chaotic way we've seen in the past few days, but that is the end goal they desire. And mm-hmm. they are happy, effectively, to, to stomach uh, that immediate short-term harm to consumers uh, for that long-term goal. Yeah, I think everyone thinks interest rates should be higher, not like this high this fast. Um, where do we expect the budget cuts to come from when they say, oh, we're going to be fiscally responsible trust us when we actually get the result where are we going to see it yes so quasi quoting again today was telling his mps we are going to go for more of a small stage you can expect us to see uh you can expect us to reduce spending by the government i mean you can expect that across the piece i I mean the government thinks that the nhs for example is uh uh, guilty of largesse you you could expect to see cuts there and there's no government department i think that's safe from from the approach that quasi will take Finally, are Labour making enough of this? Well, certainly at the Labour conference, or I'm here in Liverpool, it has been a regular theme. Every speaker has said the Tory party has lost its you know, reputation for fiscal credibility. We are now the party of sound money. So, yeah, they're trying to make that message. Whether it's cutting through to the public, perhaps not yet. But um, if, if, if it carries on this way, the situation in market, there's a lot mm-hmm. for them to capitalise on. All right, Jemmies, thanks a lot. Great reporting tough, tough spot. It's so hard to see how the UK can get out of this cleanly. Um, Coming up next, uh, Guy and I talked to Sir Charles Bean, the Professor of Economics in London School of Economics, as well as former uh, MPC member. We're going to bring you some of that conversation next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson uh, over in London. Just a headline here for you. The S&P falls uh, to the lowest intraday level since November of 2020. Here we go again. You get a nice little rally earlier in the day, and then you kind of roll over, and it gets worse and worse into the close as yields really push uh, a lot higher. Speaking of higher yields, UK continues. I just I can't believe these moves still. I mean, 50-year yield now is up 47 basis points. The 30-year yield in the UK up 44 basis points. Um, it's over five per. At one point, it was over five percent. We haven't seen that uh, since 2002. Um, part of it is the increased uh, rate hike expectation from traders looking at the BOE rate bets about 390 basis points worth of hikes by May, and sees the key rate rising to 6.25 percent by May. It's the speed. It's the speed of the re-rating. Uh, that's going to have a lot of issues for the economy. So on this point, Guy and I spoke to Sir Charlie Bean, professor of economics at the London School of Economics, and he was also formerly a deputy governor for monetary policy over at the Bank of England. And we started off saying, OK, what does monetary policy need to do? How substantial should that response be? I think it's sensible to split the chancellor's package into two elements. There's the 
the energy price guarantee component, where the impact on monetary policy, I think, actually is somewhat ambiguous, uh, because that has a, a direct effect on reducing inflation, reducing second round effects, which we want the bank to be worried about, but obviously also helps to sustain demand. Mm -hmm. um, and they're obviously conflicting effects. On the other hand, the bits of the package, which I think have created uh, the biggest um, question marks, uh, without doubt, are the uh, permanent changes, the rolling back of the planned increase in uh, corporate income tax, uh, national insurance, lowering income tax, uh, getting rid of the top rate of income tax. Uh, they're purely demand stimulative. Uh, and that element of the package, there's no doubt, I think, requires monetary policy to be mm -hmm. tighter than it would otherwise be. Professor, uh, as a result of when we saw Hugh Pill speak, traders amped up uh, rate bets for the BOE to pricing in 390 bips by May. What kind of monetary reaction do we need to see? There is a question about how quickly you need to uh, bring rate increases forward. Um, I think it's fairly clear that where rates are now is well below where they will probably need to get up to. Um, personally, I thought there was a good case on this occasion, perhaps for the bank uh, to move ahead of its next meeting, uh, given the uh, turmoil in financial markets uh, and possibly uh, an emergency increase of at least 100 basis points it would need to be. Uh, now, that would be bringing forward rate increases, which are essentially already priced into the right. market. Um, as it is, um, I think potentially have quite a lot of room to make up going forward, which will mean you know, probably continued 50 basis point increases at least uh, for several meetings in a row. In that scenario, does the terminal rate go higher, Charlie? When you talk about bringing forward hikes, uh, is the terminal rate higher in that scenario? Or are you also talking about extra hikes on top of what was previously anticipated? Uh, when you say terminal, you mean peak rate that it will get right, to? Peak rates, peak rates, yeah. Yes, yeah, so peak rate, because in some sense, the terminal rate way down the, the road will be uh, obviously significantly lower. I think the bank will probably want to steer people in the direction of not such a high peak, but rates staying higher for longer. Mm. Also, it should be said, trying to adopt that strategy makes it less likely that the policy response will be miscalibrated, that they overshoot or don't do enough. There's, uh, there's more scope for um, mid-course corrections, if you like. Rates are going up, they're going to stay up, and they're going to stay up for quite a long time. The message coming from Charlie Bean, uh, former Deputy Governor of the Bank of England. He ran monetary policy uh, effectively for the uh, for the Governor. He was in charge of monetary policy at the Bank of England, uh, the Deputy Governor for that. Alex, this is... This is a scenario that I think is only just becoming real to a lot of people in the UK. We've had the energy crisis, and now we're going to have a, a, a mortgage crisis. The, the numbers are 
eye-watering. Today we saw drops in UK in US um, house prices. In U- US house prices, mm-hmm. I, we're going to see the same thing here. We haven't seen that for a very long time. This is a huge shock to a lot of people. Yeah, it feels much more drastic though over where you are than it is here. Maybe because we haven't felt it quite as much. Like you can just look at the new home sales number was super strong today in part because you had mortgage rates go below five in the month of August and then kind of pop back up. Um, But it also feels like we're on a more orderly path in some ways um, versus quickly responding to a fiscal event in essence. Yep. But I think that either way, we know the market's going to be tight. But as you raise the point... There's still not supply. There was an article, I think, in the Journal over the weekend in the U.S. There's literally not enough land in the U.S. to build the homes. So that's going to keep things elevated to some extent. In, in the middle of the country, I would imagine there are a few. There's plenty of land in the U.K. to build houses, just that everybody wants to live in the southeast of England. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Well, they didn't everybody specify wants, necessarily uh, where, but fair enough. Yeah, I, I would imagine in, in there's quite a lot of open space in the middle of America. Yeah, like but Wyoming you, you, you got to farm empty, the things. You got to farm the things to eat the food and okay, buy the, the things. Stuff. The things. Um, and the the other but, price, uh, yeah, go ahead. But this is but the, the ripple effect of this as well is like we saw Howden's the joinery company down today. Mm-hmm. When people don't move, they don't put new they don't put new kitchens in. They don't put new bathrooms in. They don't employ plumbers. They don't employ sparkies, electricians. They don't employ... Like, all of the, the effect of this is dramatic. Although, flip it for a second. If you're not going to move, maybe you're going to spend the money actually fixing up a house instead. Or, or that, have we that already is seen true, that? But, but like, was people, that the story a few Well, years I think ago? you've already seen a lot of that. But mm-hmm. also, people spend more when they move. So, yes, when they stay, they do spend, but they spend more when they move. Yeah. No, I hear you. Fair point. Um, all right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the energy crisis continuing to unfold uh, over in Europe. Antony Blinken, I was mentioning, uh, talking about imposing severe costs on Russia uh, for annexations. Of course, Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2, then no gas flows going through them. We'll talk about the implications next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. We're just about halfway through the trading session here in the U.S., just past 12.30, 5.30 where you guys are. I got to say, I wish many traders wish it was already four. Because you're looking at the S&P now into negative territory, down by five-tenths of 1%. We have now broken below the December 2020 low, uh, that November 2020 low, I think I should say, that we hit the Dow Jones continuing its bear market journey, and the Nasdaq also giving up most of its gains uh, as yields on the back end here in the U.S. push a lot higher. I feel like this is a trend. U.S. markets hold up, European markets close, yields move higher over in Europe at the close, and then boom, the selling pressure winds up hitting uh, the U.S. I wonder if this is something that we can start looking towards as as, as we keep moving forward here. I'm sorry, I'm trying to work out. Are you blaming us? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, everything else sucks. Let's pile that one on too, yeah? Okay. That feels right. And you guys talk funny, so you know, it makes sense. I'm just joking. During the show, we were going back and forth on whether you say the word hurricane or hurricane. I'm not sure I'd say either. I think I just must have been misheard. But now I'm going to say hurricane forever. Yeah, I think you are. It's the same thing that you give me in grief over ketchup. You know, ketchup, ketchup. We should I, move on. I feel like we're imparting really good usage for our viewers right now. Yes, let's move on. Let's move markets on are to being, markets, uh, markets are being hammered. Um, and I think there are a number of different contributing factors to this. I think probably there is some responsibility to what is happening here in Europe for what is happening over in the States. I think the two stories that really stand out here, right, what's happened with the UK, rates going sharply higher, the ripple effect of that. And then you've got, as you say, this gas story. So today, I, go online, 
and find the pictures of that that have come from the Danish um, Air Force, I think, or Danish Danish Navy, the Danish Armed Forces of the the, the gas leaks that we now think have been caused deliberately in the Baltic Sea. One is in Nord Stream Two. One is in Nord Stream Two or in Nord Stream One. These are huge gas pipelines. Methane is is leaking, bursting out from these pipes into the Baltic Sea, and and it's just causing this sort of eruption in the Baltic Sea. The pictures, Alex, are unbelievable. It, it honestly reminds me of the BP spill in the Gulf of Mexico all the years back, where you just couldn't stop watching the oil just like bubbling out uh, of this pipeline. It feels the same kind of kind of thing. Um, Obviously, you had many countries like Germany saying that they think it was definitely sabotage. It's hard to work out a scenario where this was a natural occurrence, to be honest. Um, Denmark, other countries are on heightened security. Um, We spoke to Francisco Blanche of Bank of America earlier, and we were talking about the storage situation over in Europe and where things are okay and where we need to sort of reprice the risk. Throughout 2022, we've actually had a lot of Russian gas coming through until uh, Nord Stream 1 was was shut down in in June. So we've had six months of Russian supply that have helped uh, build those inventories. Now we have to do the same thing again in 2023 without those Russian volumes. That is the main concern Mm. that that we all have uh, for European energy in, in the year ahead. That was Francisco Blanche uh, joining me in the studio a little bit earlier on from Bank of America. Joining me now on the line, joining us now on the line, is Rachel Morrison. Rachel... We've seen today two stories, one of which is what's happening in the Baltic with Nord Stream and the pipelines. And now we've also got this potential sanctioning of Naftagas, the Ukrainian transit company, which could effectively shut down Ukraine as a transit um, option for Russian gas coming into Europe. I'm assuming the two are connected. Yes, we've been trying to figure out all day you know, some of the reasoning behind why there could have been this potential sabotage. And then when you sort of see what's happened this afternoon and how prices reacted to news that gas, the small amount of gas that's still coming to Europe, um, transiting Ukraine, is at risk from this arbitration um, with the Ukrainian company Naftagaz and Gazprom, that it seems as though Russia is today sort of slowly closing off all routes um, to Europe. So, you know, Mm -hmm. even at this point, if Europe decided it's okay, we can sort of, you know, Nord Stream works again, let's have the gas, there's a problem. You know, there's this leak, we don't know what it is. So it looks as though Russia is lining up Europe to have no option to get any gas. Do we have an idea of any um, retaliation headline just crossing crossing that um, uh, NATO chief Stoltenberg is speaking to European lawmakers right now and said that they are also monitoring the Nord Stream leaks. Uh, Blinken was speaking earlier saying that it looks initial reports look like some kind of sabotage, etc. If we can confirm that, is there a retaliatory element? Does this move, say, the gas and oil price cap closer? Yes. I mean, if this does turn out to be provable or, in fact, you know, the the assumption that this sabotage has been carried out by Russia in NATO territory, you know, that has a huge diplomatic impact. And it really just seems to crank up everything that's been going on with the sanctions and just takes us into this quite frightening part of of the war, you know, what the next steps will be that really Russia is is sort of saying these sanctions, you know, any 
any allies of Ukraine are enemies of ours. And it just feels like it all got a lot more serious today. Yet I'm hearing at the same time that Europe has enough gas. There was a headline out of Italy today saying we've basically compensated for Russian gas. We're going to get gas from North Africa. Germany has enough storage. Put these two stories together for us. Are we in a situation where we have enough gas, regardless of what the Russians do, or do we not? Italy are very confident, which in some ways is quite interesting. Um, So, yes, they say that they have set up enough alternative supplies so that they can cover what they are getting from Russia. But they are getting gas that's coming via Ukraine. So if these flows are reduced or cut off eventually, you know, that will impact them. And um, our own BNF as well had a report today saying that gas storage levels looked to be at a level that Europe would be okay. This does assume quite a lot of demand destruction. This assumes people taking action to, you know, use less heating, Mm -hmm. um, industry using less. So that is an important part of it. What what kind of demand destruction in that report did BNEF talk about? They talked about the 15% um, demand destruction for gas that the EU has as a voluntary target. So we need to achieve that in order to make things okay. Um, But the problem then becomes about next winter because we filled storage this year with flows from Russia, which we we can now assume probably not have next year. In terms of the the prices that are currently being paid, what I, are you, different European companies countries paying different prices at the moment? I'm trying to work out. Europe stands together. Everybody roughly pays the same sort of price. Is that what's ha- that's what's happening here? Because what I what I'm also seeing is is Spain competing with with Italy for supplies out of North Africa, and I, and I'm just kind of wondering how cooperative everything is right now. Yes, you can see a bit of a regional difference between, so Spain is relatively calm compared to other parts of Europe. And a lot of that does depend on what alternative supplies have been secured. Um, but even even still, you know, there's huge volatility in the market. We saw, you know, a massive spike on UK gas, for example, 34% this afternoon. And that's not directly related to how much gas the UK is getting from Russia is perceived risk in the market. So I think that's really interesting that even if you do have enough supply, you're still at risk from these huge price swings. Nightmare. All right, Rachel, thanks a lot. Richard Morrison uh, joining us there. Uh, Coming up, we're going to go back to the US here. We had that super strong consumer confidence number, which really perplexed markets and investors. We're going to break down the why and what was behind that next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Listen to Bloomberg Radio, uh, The Cable. I'm Alex Steele, Guy Johnson over in the UK. Let's get to some of the data here. So the Consumer Board Conference uh, confidence number that came out for September, 108, super strong, beat expectations. Present situation, 149, beat expectations, really strong. Um, Expectations going forward came in about 80 80 is like that pivotal number. Anything over 80 is super good. Below 80, the expectations aren't great. So a little bit of nuance within that. But the numbers were very much of a surprise. So Guy and I caught up with Dana Peterson. Uh, She heads up the consumer confidence uh, economic side. And we talked to her about her reaction to the numbers. Consumer confidence did tick up in September. 
Um, and we think a lot of that's a reflection of three things. Number one, most people are still working. Um, we've seen very strong job gains and labor force participation among core workers, people aged 24 to 25 to 64, is rising. The second thing is that wages are rising almost across the board. So folks are quitting, they're finding better jobs and higher wages. And then the third thing is that inflation expectations have been cooling off a bit. And certainly that's a reflection of lower gasoline prices. So taking those things together, consumers are feeling a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Is this a good news, bad news, though, situation? Like this is exactly the scenario that you laid out with the exception of inflation expectations rolling over that the Fed doesn't want to see. Well, I don't think the Fed wants to see unhappy people, but certainly the Fed wants to bring down inflation. And when you look at inflation gauges, food prices are still rising. Rents are, are through the roof and costs for many services are also elevated. That has not improved. And so that's why we haven't yeah. seen a massive improvement in consumer confidence. Just to pick up on Alex's point, though, Dana. The Fed has made it very clear that it is going to have to cause some pain in the labor market. What you're telling me at the moment is that that pain is yet to show up. Yes, that's correct. I mean, our own forecast, we, we have been saying for a while that we do expect a recession in the U.S. because the Fed is raising interest rates aggressively and to very elevated levels. That is going to cause some pain in the labor market, but we're probably not going to see five, six, seven, eight percent unemployment. It's probably going to be closer to four, four and a half. And that's because of the massive labor shortages and the fact that we don't have a good supply of workers right now. So is four and a half to five, which is what Charlie Evans also sort of intimated overnight, is that enough to bring inflation down to 2%? Or is inflation going to have to live somewhere around three? Well, our own forecasts have inflation uh, kind of settling closer to 3% by the end of next year and not really getting to 2% until 2024. So I think the Fed really does need to bring interest rates to very high level and keep them there in order to bring inflation down. But let's remember inflation is being driven by supply and demand factors. The Fed can address the demand factors. They really need those supply factors to cooperate with what they're doing. Dana, we are seeing a slow, a slowing housing market. I think that's fair to say, um, despite the fact we've just seen some, some cracking numbers coming through uh, uh, that, that Alex brought us. The housing market is, is starting to show the impact of higher mortgage rates. What is the relationship between higher mortgage rates and consumer confidence? Sure. So certainly if you're looking to buy a house, it's not <laughs> it's going to make you feel a little bit sour, certainly. But we've already already in the second quarter, we saw the housing market starting to slow as a reflection of very elevated prices, people getting priced out, but also because mortgage rates are rising because the Fed's raising interest rates. But that's all part of the plan. The Fed wants to cool off the entire economy by raising interest rates. So that's going to affect housing. It's going to affect cars, anything that people have to finance. And so this is all part of the program. The, the view from the conference board on what is happening with consumer confidence. Alex, my takeaway from that conversation, unemployment has by no means, by no stretch of the imagination, risen to a level that the Fed is going to be comfortable with. Yeah, but she still seems to think that we can have a job full Slowdown. I hesitate to even say job full recession, but a job full slowdown. I just wonder how. I don't understand. I don't understand how that works. The uh, Fed is making either. it very clear that it wants to. It needs to cause pain in the labor market. That yes. that appears to be its objective right now. How high does the employment rate have to go to get inflation down to two percent? I yeah. would argue four and a half percent seems optimistic for the U three, which is what uh, Charlie Evans was talking about last night. Uh, I don't know. I the think number keeps really going higher, doesn't happened. it? 
Hmm? The number keeps going higher. It does, isn't it? Yeah. All right, next up, we're going to talk about the markets more and dissect the moves. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio, The Cable. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson over uh, in London. So Katie Greifeld is here, and we were chatting during the break, and we're like, what is going on with this market? Feels like something's breaking. This does not feel right. But for some reason, the credit market is just not responding with the kind of stress that the Fed would be panicked about and that would indicate that we're in for something really terrible. This is, this is what we were talking about. We were, we were getting deep into our theories of the credit market. So let's continue that conversation. Uh, Katie Greifeld joining me right now and Guy. Um, he's there, too. He's that guy with the accent. Um, Katie, what is your take? Like, why haven't... Is it... We, okay, what we were saying is the credit market's not under stress because dot, 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 they already refinanced and maturities are pushed out. Earnings are still holding up relatively well. There is no panic, et cetera, and investors still want yield. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's a combination of those factors. I mean, looking at spreads right now, it's pretty remarkable. I'm looking at IG, again, talking about U.S. spreads. IG U.S. spreads are below July's peaks. It's the same story for high yield, which is it just I don't know. You look at what's happening in sovereign bond markets. You look at what's happening in currency mm. markets. To your point, it really feels like something's breaking. In terms of why there's this calm, I mean, a lot of companies took advantage of that ultra low interest rate window to refinance. You also have the fact that the default rate at this point is very very low. You've seen warnings from UBS and the like, warning that that's going to edge higher, but we're not expecting sort of panic levels. And just looking at those pure facts that default rates are low, there's not a very scary, scary maturity wall approaching. I mean, corporate credit looks okay. I think one thing we would have learned over the last few days is things change very quickly. Mm-hmm. What can cause things to change very quickly in the credit market? I think with the Fed from Powell down acknowledging the fact that a soft landing is pretty much out of the question at this point, they've sort of soft launched the idea that we're going to have a hard landing. That's when things start to change. Because if you have a short, shallow recession, if you're thinking about the default rate, it probably doesn't move scarily higher. But if you're talking about a deeper recession coming out of a hard landing, then that's what sort of changes that sort of rosy backdrop for the credit market right now. And we were talking about that too. Like when it does start to change, does it change really fast? And all Mm. of a sudden like high yield jumps to like 20%? Or is it like an orderly move? Is it a move that makes sense? Do we know that answer? I would love to know that answer. I think uh, <laughs> high yield is going to no uh, be really, really important to watch here because you have started to see some anecdotes of issuers having trouble selling debt, and that when those headlines start to pile up, that's when things can move fast. But you think about how much attention was paid to the Citrix debt debt deal yeah, over in the States, true. Carvana over the summer. That's the sort of stuff that makes the market really nervous. But I mean, on the IG side, issuance is way, way down, uh, well below what had been expected for September. But firms haven't had too much trouble actually selling bonds. Maybe they're paying more concessions, more than they would like, but not too much trouble. You, you say elsewhere there are signs that this is a market that's breaking. Mm. What does a broken market look like? Because th- this is a market that feels like it's functioning. Mm-hmm. We had this debate with Critty the other day. This is a market that's still functioning. So what is broken? 
It's a good question. I mean, uh, Guy, I don't want to sound like a bully, but it feels like UK markets are yeah. looking a little agree. bit Alex, broken. Honestly, Alex keeps blaming me for all of this. <laughs> I mean, I don't Personally, think it's no. your fault specifically. Maybe it's <laughs> okay, Liz Truss's fault. That up. Uh, I asked that question a few times on Friday, but I mean, just look at the gilts. It's incredible. The 30-year gilt uh, above 5% mm. for the first time since 2002. I was listening to a really interesting interview on the Open earlier this morning, John I was talking to, I believe it was Luke Hickmore of Aberdeen, who made the point that, you know, maybe long duration treasuries uh, start to look okay, but I believe he used the word basket case when you're looking at the gilts market. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so I much like a knife that you're trying to catch, it's like a spear. Yeah, but, you know, Guy, I have to feel, I feel like I've read a lot of articles over the last 24 hours about how certain areas of the UK market are not functioning properly. That there was, conver- all of a sudden you had, um, is the Fed going to have to open its uh, swap lines, mm. for example? Like those spreads uh, really sunk pretty quickly. I just read an article that um, people are worried about UK pension funds and having to sort of mass sell for margin calls. Like I don't, I feel like maybe we're on the cusp of not functioning. You're on yeah, the cusp I, of I, not functioning, guy. Let's just put it that when way. When does the Bank of England <laughs> fire off an emergency rate hike? Well, uh, the, the, the message at the moment is they're not going to. Nope. Yeah. Um, and we heard that from Hugh Pill today, the chief economist. He's like, we should do this in an orderly way. Uh, and that is that is that is the message at the moment. But if you continue to see the kind of... The, the, there is a huge gap between where the Bank of England is right now and what is being priced into the gilt market. It, mm-hmm. it is it is yawing. It is like hundreds of basis points. And I'm just not sure the bank's got as long as it thinks it has. And, I mean, Guy, I'm not going to pretend to know more about British monetary policy than you are. I don't think anybody (laughs) knows anything about it at the moment. But, I mean, how much... How much uh, sort of stock should we put into the comments that we've heard from BOC policymakers thus far that an emergency rate hike is out of the question? Because thinking about the Fed in a far less dramatic example, I mean, they ruled out 50 basis points, then they ruled out 75 basis points, and here we are. Well, yeah, we're talking talking hundreds of basis points here. Mm -hmm. How much do they deliver? The the danger is that it looks like panic, Mm -hmm. and that become self-fulfilling and and that is that is what they're trying to avoid at the moment i think what they're basically doing is saying to the fiscal authorities quasi quarter and the chancellor over to you you made this you sort it out i think they're probably standing ready if they if they don't to step in but i think at the moment they're going to give quasi quartang a little bit of room for manoeuvre to try at least and stabilise the situation. So he met with the city today. He's going to meet with Wall Street tomorrow just to try and calm things down. What I guess I get to understand is what does panic look like if it's not, you know, 150 basis point yeah. move <laughs> in three days? I mean, I don't know what... If not now, when? Yeah. Well, do you want to have that confirmed by the central bank? Mm. Like you, can get, you, can get, you can get gyrations in the market that ultimately can settle themselves down. But this is getting baked in because people are fixing mortgages at the moment and they're having to bake in these higher rates. See? It's ugly. It is their fault. <laughs> there you go. Katie, thank you very much. Thank we appreciate you. it. Katie Greifeld uh, joining me. Um, okay, well, and that me. leaves us with another cheerful show. I feel like the last three days have been like, here's all the bad stuff that's happening. Um, hope you enjoyed the show, Guy. I don't really <laughs> think it's all your fault. I'm not entirely convinced about that. Anyway, that's we'll fair. do it all again tomorrow. <laughs> this is this Bloomberg. Is Bloomberg.